All right, good morning. My name is John Downer, and I am a member of Berean Community Church, and it's my joy and privilege to bring a message to you this morning, a heavy message. Um, the song, a couple of songs that we sang there, very intentionally chosen, um, especially um, that Andrew Peterson song, Is He Worthy? Those words at the beginning, do you feel the world is broken? And do you feel the shadows lengthen? And is all creation groaning? I think perhaps now more than ever, we can say, yes, yes, we feel those things. We feel the weight of what's going on in the world around us. And so it's for that reason that I've been thinking a lot this summer about fear and the nature of fear and and how we as Christians should respond to that and how we handle that and compare and contrast that experience and that response to those of the world around us that may not have the same hope that we do. Now, at the outset, I was thinking, how do you start a heavy topic like this? And I thought, well, maybe the best thing to do would have us all engage in like a deep breathing exercise. And then I realized, well, no, masks and an airborne virus, and maybe that's a terrible idea because, you know, breathing isn't as safe as it used to be. And then I thought, well, there's your intro right there. Breathing isn't as safe as it used to be. That's a pretty heavy start and a heavy thought, and it's appropriate for heavy days like these. So over the last few months, as my mind has returned over and over again to this ever-present theme of fear, um, I just know, you know, the Lord knows that there's a lot to be afraid about. So what are some of the things that are going on in our world right now that we might be a little bit anxious about or fearful about? Obviously, COVID-19 is one. We have, yep, we're good. COVID-19 is one, the economy, and what's going to happen there, Um, race-related violence, and the difficult but necessary questions about my own complicity in the problem. Um, Here's one that brings shudder to the hearts of all the parents, distance learning, starting again in 10 days or so. That might be on there. Um, If you're of a certain um, mindset, maybe the Vikings defensive line without Everson Griffin and Linval Joseph. That might be something that you're very afraid of this year. What are we going to do without them? Um, The election... That's fifth one. That's coming soon. You know, should I go on or is the ulcer already forming in you? I think I'll stop there. Into all of this, the Lord speaks. And what does he say? He says, do not fear, for I am with you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. So do not fear is the most common command in Scripture. Do not fear, or do not be afraid, or some version of it. And why? Because the Lord knows us, and he knows our world. He knows the brokenness that's around us. And he's addressed this over and over again in the Word. And it's to the hope that he calls us to in the Word that I want to point you to today. Now, the Word isn't our only source of wisdom on this. The secular world has a lot to say about fear as well, and they understand the dangers of it, maybe not to the same degree, but they also understand it. And so I want to uh, talk about a little bit about the, uh, w- the world's wisdom on fear, and this is an audience participation part. So some famous quotes on fear. The only thing we have to fear is? And you all know that one. And who said it? FDR, correct, that guy. So that seems pretty apropos in many respects because there's 
I've wondered at times, like, is the way that we're reacting to COVID and our fear of it maybe even worse than some of the impact of it, some of the actual impacts? And maybe that's true. You know, we don't want to make light of it. It's a serious, serious threat, but some of the ways we respond to it actually make things worse. So fear itself is something to perhaps be afraid of. We need to be mindful of the effect that fear itself will have on us. Here's another one. Maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What is pantophobia? The fear of everything. That's it. What's that from? Charlie Brown's Christmas. Remember that? She goes through all the things you might be afraid of. No, I don't think that's it. Pantophobia. That's it. And she goes spinning through the air. So this also feels a little bit apropos, right? What do we have to fear? Everything right now. Everything around us can be something that's a little bit anxiety-inducing. So we can maybe feel a little bit like Charlie Brown right there. And here's a third one. Fear is... Well, look, hold on a sec. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Who said it? Yoda. And that may be the very first Yoda impersonation ever in church. So... We'll talk about this one a little bit more, too, but there's a lot of hokiness in Star Wars. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I won't uh, deny that. Um, But this is actually a really good quote. There's a lot of really ridiculous stuff, especially in the first three movies. Um, But this is actually pretty good. Fear does lead to anger, and anger can lead to hate, and hate can, in fact, lead to suffering. And that's a theme throughout the the Star Wars films. So um, what was the point of all that? They're the wisdom of the secular world. They have some things to say about this as well. Um, so let's talk about some definitions. What are we talking about when we talk about fear? Now, I looked up a lot of definitions. This is the one I like the most. Fear is a distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc., whether the threat is real or imagined. And let's talk about some different kinds of fear that illustrate this definition. I think the really important part is at the end. It doesn't have to be real. It can be imagined. We can be afraid of things that aren't actually anything that we should be afraid about. So who knows what the most common phobia is? Public speaking, exactly. I don't have that one, obviously. I wouldn't be up here. And part of the reason I don't have that one is because I've worked really hard at public speaking. I took a class in high school. I took a public speaking class in college. I did debate in college. I've worked at it a lot, and I have a lot of experience with it in various jobs that I've had. So I think this one is mostly imagined, largely because audiences don't generally murder bad speakers. You are not in mortal danger if you give a bad sermon or a bad speech. The worst that might happen is people could squirm or laugh or walk out, but that's usually the worst of it. Now, some people can have a physical reaction to this, like sweaty palms and accelerated heart rate and just feeling super like hyperventilating and being super nervous about it. But for the most part, that can be overcome. If you work at it and you give yourself that experience, you can get to the point where you're no longer afraid of that. Now, to get personal on it, uh, I'm not afraid of public speaking. I am afraid of heights. At least that's the easy way to explain it. I'm actually not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling. It's a very big difference. And so I'm fine at the top of the Eiffel Tower. Oh, I forgot my picture. Public speaking afraid. That's that. I'm not afraid of that. 
That doesn't bother me at all. And I've done stuff like that on the top of like One World Observatory, the, the one that in New York. They have a, a place like that. And the, the glass is like three feet thick. I'm not worried about falling because I trust the engineering and I trust the thickness of the glass. Some people would freak out about that. Not a problem for me. In my head, it's rational. I'm not going to fall there. Like, there's no way it's going to pass code. I trust the code. It's, I'm not going to fall. Now, on the other hand, there's this. Um, there's, like, ladders. I'm not good with ladders. Put me up past the third or fourth step, and that's going to be a problem for me. This was a big problem for me. This is Trail Ridge Road in Rocky Mountain National Park, and I was on it last summer. And I got about halfway up, and then I was like, nope, we're done here. Pulled over to the side of the road, and Naomi took over, because Naomi doesn't get vertigo the way I do. So this is Trail Ridge Road, and what's on the other side of those poles is death. <laughs> it's a long drop and an abrupt stop. In my mind, I know that death is on the other side, and that I have to keep this car in between the lines, and all of a sudden, I'm getting nervous just talking about it. Like, my hands will start to shake, and I start to get dizzy. When I get up high or I feel like I'm going to fall, I get dizzy. So I'm having a physical manifestation of that fear, and it is no longer safe for me to operate the motor vehicle. Like, I just can't do that. And so could I work on that and get better at that? I probably could, but I don't really want to risk my life trying. So this is, this is, it's kind of an imagined threat because the, the reality is I'm probably not going to drive off. I'm capable of keeping the car in between the lines, and I'm not probably going to fall off the ladder, but the fear makes it real, and the fear increases the danger. Another thing I've realized that I'm afraid of, and this is a more recent uh, thing I've discovered, is incompetency. I've discovered that I don't like feeling incompetent. And so I tend at this point in my life to stick to things that I know well and that I'm good at because I don't want to look like a failure. I don't want to try something and fail at it and feel incompetent. So I've recognized that that's something um, that's an issue for me. And the, 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 what I'm fearing is emotional pain. The feeling of incompetency and inadequacy at this point in my adult life I don't want that feeling. I don't want to experience that emotional pain. So I've just had some confessional time up here, so I'll turn it back on you, but won't ask you to come up here and tell all of us, what are you afraid of, and what is the impending threat that's prompting it? So more about that in just a second, but let's turn for a second now to why is, is fear bad for us? Well, it isn't entirely bad. Fear, like any emotion, is a thermometer. It tells us what's going on in the atmosphere around us. So if you're fearful, you might need to ask yourself, why am I fearful? What's going on in my heart? What's going on in the world around me that's causing this? So pain, or the fear can be useful insofar as it prompts you to ask questions like, what am I afraid of and why? Is it real or is it imagined? And if you're a really rational person like me, you can sometimes say, what am I afraid of right now? Should I really be afraid about this? And to me, the classic example of this is the fear of flying. I don't have that one. I know many people do. And here's the thing about flying is it's one of the safest ways of travel ever. 
and you only ever hear about the plane crashes because, well, they're fatal a lot of the time, and it's a big deal when, there's, when they happen, right? They happen so infrequently, they're almost always in the news, whereas car crashes are happening all the time, and they're not in the news because it's not newsworthy, because they happen all the time. And I tell people, and it usually doesn't help, that the most dangerous part of your plane trip is the drive to and from the airport. Statistically, that is absolutely 100% true. It usually doesn't help the people who are really afraid of flying. But rationally, if you're a rational person, that might work for you. Just look at the numbers. It seems counterintuitive that you can get into a giant hunk of metal and soar through the air and that that's going to be a safe thing, but it largely is. If you understand the physics behind it and the idea of lift and the safety record, you may be able to rationalize yourself right out of that fear. Um, but I digress. Um, so uh, let's talk about what fear can do to you. Charlie Brown. What did fear do to Charlie Brown? It got him depressed, pessimistic, and vulnerable to delusions such as that Lucy will actually hold the football for him this time. So there's a negative consequence for the fear that Charlie Brown experiences. I read a study just two weeks ago that depression is rising rapidly in 18 to 24-year-olds and that that depression is leading to increases in substance abuse. So the unchecked fear and anxiety around what's happening in my future, am I going to be able to ever get a job, am I ever going to get out of school debt, all of these things have led to that pain and led to the suffering that Yoda talked about. So in that instance, a person feeling all of that may turn to any number of medications, including those that provide temporary relief but ultimately destruction, such as alcohol and opioids and food. Maybe that's a bigger issue for some of us in this room than the first two. Um, and then another thing that we learned very recently is something Zach Williams has taught us. Fear is a liar. He'll rob your rest and steal your happiness. Do you know that song? And that's also true, but not 100% of the time. Sometimes fear is being very honest with you. Here are a couple of examples. If you're being chased by a Balrog, an R-O-U-S, or Sharktopus, fear is not lying to you. You should run. Like, in that instance, your fear is telling you the temperature in the room is get out of here now. So fear is not always a liar, but it is lying to you a lot of the time. Let's move off of that, because I don't want to scare any children. Um, so fear wants me to believe things that aren't true. Fear wants me to believe that I'm definitely going to come down if I go above the third step on the ladder. Fear wants me to believe that if I actually attempt to build a loft bed for Owen, that is going to end with a collapsed pile of wood in the middle of the night in years of therapy for him. So my fear of incompetency in that wants me to not even attempt it. More importantly, fear wants me to believe that God is not able, is not for me, is not with me, and is not in control. And that, of course, is a lie straight from the father of lies, and the one who, when he speaks and when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. That's in John 8.44. Now, Satan's lies and fear's lies are countered by the one who is all truth, he says, for I am the way and the truth and the life. And Jesus brings truth to bear in every situation. And his Holy Spirit in the believer helps us discern truth from lies. And when you do that, you can disarm the fear in your life. So let's talk about three ways to deal with fear. 
First of all, anxiety versus fear. Second, ignorance-based fear. And thirdly, spiritual fear. So I've used the word fear rather than anxiety very intentionally, and that's because they're not the same thing. So fear is not a medical condition, but anxiety can be. And it can be bad enough that medications are needed to help keep it in check. And I know there are people listening to this for whom this is the case. And to you, I say this. I see you, and so does God. Taking a medication for anxiety does absolutely not mean that you're failing as a Christian. You're using a good thing that God has given to us to live the full life he's called you to live. And that's important to say because you could hear a message like this and feel condemnation, and I don't want that at all. Secondly, ignorance-based fear. That's when a lack of understanding causes the fear. And so with COVID in particular, we've been bombarded with a lot of conflicting information, exaggerations, misinformation, and, and bad news. Like the media with the if it bleeds, it leads mentality is very prone to giving us the bad news about that. And that can bring us into a place of a lot of fear. So now I'm, I'm not at all saying that COVID is a hoax or not dangerous. It is. But it may be having a disproportional impact on your emotional life. And that's something that only you can know. Are you constantly feeling afraid because of this? Uh, and if so, maybe you have very legitimate reasons because you have an autoimmune issue or you have something that makes you more vulnerable to it. And again, I'm not meaning to downplay that at all. But there are people for whom we're probably not at huge risk, but we may be acting like we are. So ask yourself that question. Is this taking a disproportional impact on your emotional life? And if it is, part of the solution may be, A, a healthy amount of skepticism, a discerning spirit about the sources of information that you're using, and some common sense. There is also a spiritual element to how this impacts us, and I'll get to that in a little bit. Now, the corollary to this idea of ignorance and understanding being an issue is that what people fear is the unknown. We watched the Batman movie with the boys yesterday, and there's, that quote was in there. Uh, people fear what they don't understand. And I thought, ooh, that's good. I'm going to use that tomorrow. Um, bring some more pop culture into this. So people don't, they fear what they don't understand. They fear the unknown. And if that's true, then the solution is to make the unknown known. Understand it. Bring understanding into that experience, into that, that unknown situation. And I think about this in relationship to George Floyd and what happened on May 25th. What was going on in the head and the heart of the officer who killed him? I can't stop thinking about that. I go through that over and over again. And the more I've thought about it over the last three months now, the more I come to the conclusion that it was fear. Fear of a large black man who he perceived to be a threat, even while he was half-conscious under his knee. And it makes me wonder, what brings a police officer who had all the power in that confrontation to believe that he was the one in danger and that deadly force was necessary? And I don't know. I can only speculate on it. Maybe it was a combination of some learned or inherited racism. Maybe it was prior experience he'd had as a police officer or the culture that he operated in as a police officer. And maybe it was media portrayals of black men that have done no favors to that to them. Maybe it was all of this. I don't know. I can only speculate about it, and I can only guess at it. 
But something in him gave birth to the bias and the accompanying fear, and that fear expressed itself in this needless violence that cost a man his life. What if that cop had confronted his own bias? What if he had gotten to know black men and their world? What if he had some way disarmed that unknown quantity that brought him to this point? And I think the, you know, if he had, if he'd gained some understanding, and if that understanding had been accompanied with compassion, that incident might have turned out very differently. And I think what I do with that is that I, I, I ask myself, am I, am I, is that in me at all too? Do I have any fear of a particular person or a type of people or a particular culture? And if I do, I absolutely have to confront that because it's likely born out of some stereotype that can be counteracted with information and with experience. And again, where empathy and compassion grow, fear has a hard time putting down roots. So if we enter into those scary situations, we may discover there was nothing to be afraid of at all. So I've had a couple of personal experiences around this, very minor ones, <clears throat> that illustrate this. So one is when I was in language school in Austria prior to going and starting my mission work, I met a Brazilian guy. <clears throat> and this Brazilian guy told me with a totally straight face, I really hate Americans, but you seem okay. I was like, well, that's interesting. How many Americans have you met before me? Oh, you're the first. So what did you hate? <clears throat> he hated a stereotype. He had, he'd never met an American before, but he'd already decided he didn't like us. But when he got to know one, he found, oh, you're not that bad. You're not like whatever I picked up from media or from movies or from television commercials or whatever, whatever his source of information was in Brazil. And that just struck me like he's just coming to these stereotypes without any information at all. <clears throat> But once he had some information, it started to change his perception. Similarly, uh, I was in Austria for 9-11, and I came back to the States in October for a friend's wedding and was surprised and dismayed by the incredible levels of um, just the way Muslims as a whole had been scapegoated and, and targeted. Um, and it was so sad for me. Um, because so many people in this country only knew Muslims from hijacking airplanes and flying them into buildings. But I had been working with Muslims for a year and a half at that point and knew them to be some of the most generous and kind and hospitable people I've ever met. Um, so I've had a very different experience with Muslims because I've been in their homes and I've broken bread with them and had their coffee and their tea and uh, had relationships with them. And so I just felt like, gosh, I wish Americans had an opportunity to get to know Muslim families on a personal level, and they would feel very differently, I think, about a lot of them if they'd had that experience. And so um, all that to say, like, the opportunity to go into that world and to experience them and to get to know them has helped to um, disarm some of that fear and disarm some of that sense of the unknown. And I've lost my place. So who do we need to get to know in order to counter our known and unknown biases and fears? And I want to just encourage you, make the effort to disarm your fear by entering into the unknown. Now that third category, spiritual fear. <clears throat> Some fears have to be countered with truth and trust, self-denial, and an eye toward the future. And I want to spend the rest of our time unpacking this. So I think there are three key points to ponder here. One is that God is trustworthy and good. 
Secondly, that God's chief end is to bring glory to himself, whereas my chief end is most often very self-centered. And then thirdly, that death is not the end, but the beginning of a new and better life. And what's the scripture that backs this up? So let's talk first about Matthew 8, 26. This is when the disciples are in the boat, and the storm comes up, and Jesus is asleep, and they're freaking out, and they wake Jesus up and says, don't you care if we drown? And, and he calms the storm, and then he says this withering thing to them, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? And here Jesus is connecting faith and fear. He says, when your faith is great, your fear will be small, and when your faith is small, your fear will be great, which is kind of where the title comes from. So this story and this question that Jesus asked the disciples and asks us too, I think, is basically, is your confidence truly in God? Now, the disciples' fear revealed that they didn't trust Jesus as much as they thought they did. They should have remembered Isaiah 43, which they probably all knew. And what's Isaiah 43? We sang it. And thank you very much to Bobby and the worship team, because they learned that song just for this. This is an old inner varsity classic I hadn't sung in 20 years, but I love this song. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorites, and it was one of my all-time favorites as a very new Christian. So it says at the end of verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now think about this. This is literally true of the disciples in this story. They had literally been called by name. They were literally passing through the water. And they literally had Jesus in the boat with them. And yet it wasn't enough. They were still afraid. So do you believe that God is with you in the midst of whatever trial you are going through? Whatever's going on in your life right now, for instance. That's an important question. The second question is also just as important. Does his presence make a difference? Maybe you can say yes to the first question. I do believe that God's with me in the midst of whatever trial I'm going through, but I'm not entirely sure it makes a difference. I think a lot of us as Christians live with a yes to the first and an I'm not sure or a no to the second. Next, we have Hebrews 13, 5, and 6, which this unpacks us a little bit further. And here, the writer of Hebrews is quoting a passage from Deuteronomy and a passage from Psalms, putting them together. So the Deuteronomy passage says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, and this is the psalm, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So here we learn he's never going to leave us. He's our helper. These things matter. These are important. And therefore, we don't need to be afraid. So let's do a little bit of quick summary to what we've learned through some of the songs we sang today and some of these Bible verses. These are some classic, timeless, eternal truths. God is with us always through every trial and tribulation. God will help us when we need him and when we call out to him. God has called us by name and we belong to him. God is good no matter what happens. Maybe this is enough. Sometimes just repeating these things to ourselves over and over again will usher us into a place of peace and acceptance because these are powerful truths, and it may be enough to dissipate the fear. 
Maybe just repeating these things to yourself over and over again when you feel that fear growing or your anxiety increasing, maybe that's going to do it for you. I hope it will. I hope as believers we can repeat these things to ourselves over and over and be good there. But what if that's not enough? Sometimes we may respond, yes, but what if the worst still happens? Bad things happened to good people. Christians get sick. Christians die. Christians have died from COVID. Christians get murdered. How do we understand this? If God is with us and he's for us and he's a helper, how and why do bad things still happen? And now we're in a totally different sermon, right? This is not now just about how we handle fear and if these things are enough for us to overcome that fear as believers. Now we're talking about the the cosmic sense of suffering, how we understand that. And whole thick books have been written about that. And I'm going to give you the five-minute version. So bear with me with that. Um, I think how we have to understand suffering and how we take our fear and, and understand it, knowing that these things can still happen to us, I think we have to go back to that Hebrews passage. Yep. There. The last line. What can man do to me? The human answer is a lot. Humans can do a lot to me. So can a virus. I could be attacked and hurt. I could lose my job. Something could happen to my family. I could get really sick and incur thousands of dollars in medical expenses. I could die. And yes, all those things are true. And yet, God is still trustworthy and good. And how do I reconcile those things? Were the disciples really wrong to be afraid of the storm? I think I would have been afraid too. I think I would have been in exactly, literally and figuratively, the same boat. So the key here is to compare my agenda with God's. God is all about his purpose, which is his own glory. He's the only one who can say that and not sound selfish. He's God. He's entitled to his own glory. His own glory and his, his obsession with his own glory is a good and right thing. I should be all about that purpose, too, as one who follows him. But all too often, I'm not. I'm most interested in staying alive and being happy and prosperous. But neither of those things is promised to me. God is most interested in my life bringing him glory. So his interest is in putting me into situations in which his glory is revealed. And maybe, maybe I can most glorify him in how I handle a serious illness, a job loss, the death of a loved one, or even in my own death. Am I willing to submit myself to that? That's a very hard question. And honestly, sometimes my answer is no, I'm not. My flesh is too strong. But my answer needs to be yes. And for all of us who follow Christ, our answer needs to be yes. So what can man do to me? He can do a lot to frustrate my fleshly desires. The world and all its viruses can do me serious harm, no doubt. But neither man nor virus can do anything to frustrate his divine plan. What if I get sick and die? If I protest all the way to my dying day, cursing my bad luck and shaking my fist at God and asking, why me? It would be a tragedy. I might shipwreck a lot of people's faith as they watch me go down in flames. 
But what if I seek to glorify him in difficult circumstances? What if I trust that he can care for Naomi and my boys better than I can after I'm gone? That they'll be okay without me because he cares for them more than I ever could? How might he be glorified and others brought to him through such a death? So the hard question for us this morning is, are we willing to submit our will to his, to embrace suffering if it means his glory, and to be so caught up in making him look good that nothing on earth can make us afraid? And what if this comes at the cost of your life? Well, for that, we have to turn back to Isaiah 43. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Brothers and sisters, I can be certain of this. I know where I'm going when life is through, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be better than anything here. When I get to the other side, to borrow Billy Graham's phrase, I'll be more alive than ever. I'll join that great cloud of witnesses. I'll meet my daughter for the first time and other friends and relatives who've gone on before. And more than that, I'll see with my own eyes the one who was worthy the one who is able to break the seal and open the scroll, the Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, is he worthy? Is he worthy of any momentary pain we might go through or whatever darkness we go through as we anticipate the renewal of all things? And the answer, of course, is He is. So then, do not fear, for what can man really do to us? Let's pray. Jesus, this is a hard word and a hard thing you call us to, to not be afraid simply because we know these things to be true about you, that you are good, that you are pure, that you are righteous, that you are with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Um, We love these truths. We hold to these truths. And I ask that you'd help us to um, experience your peace because we know that these things are true and that we would be people who shine to those around us because of the peace that we have in the midst of all this uncertainty and fear. And I pray that you would help us to submit our lives to you, that we can say no matter what happens, whether we get sick whether even we die, that we would praise you and shine the light on you and that your glory would be reflected in us. Um, And Lord, if we go, we know what waits for us. And I pray that that will give us all just a tremendous amount of peace, that we know what's waiting for us on the other side, that eternity with glory is not something to be afraid of, but something to, uh, to look forward to. So thank you for these truths. Help us to live them out and to live them out in such a way that we draw other people to you. In Christ's name, amen. You are dismissed.